Good. Okay. Cool. All right. So we are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 today. Um, so if you have your Bibles or apps, you can go ahead and turn there. Um, we'll stay there the majority of the time. Um, so for anyone who hasn't been joining us, we've been going through 1 Corinthians and um, there's been a lot of correction within the church that Paul's giving to these people. Um, pointing out things that they're doing that they shouldn't be doing or things they're not doing that they should be doing. And that theme continues today in 1 Corinthians. Um, so before we really jump into it, let's get a little bit of context of what we're reading. So 1 Corinthians is what we call an epistle um, or a letter. I'm just curious, how many of y'all have actually written a letter, put it in an envelope, and mailed it? That is actually highly surprising. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I did not expect it to be that many. Cool, okay, so we have a small concept of a letter. Cool, so same thing. Paul's writing a letter to, the, to this church in Corinth. Um, and one thing that we need to know about these letters is that it is, in fact, a single letter. In our Bibles, we have these nifty chapters and titles and verses, and it kind of makes it look like it's broken up into all these, like, mini sermons or lessons. But in reality, it's one single letter. So the vast majority of the time when we're reading these letters, we try and break them up in our minds, kind of like the chapters and titles do. But that's not always the case. Sometimes, yes. But other times, like this week, sorry, last week, we looked at church discipline. What to do when there is sin within the church and how to handle that. And then we flow right into, oh, look, the church is suing each other. How do we handle that? Well, look, Paul just wrote us a letter that has what to do when people are sinning within the church. So um, that's where we'll be today in 1 Corinthians. Um, and before we dive completely in, um, this week is going to talk about some sensitive topics. Um, also, do we have any 5th through 8th grade left in here? Because if you're in here, you do not need to be. Go to the other room. No? No 5th through 8th graders? Cool. Because this week is titled, Lawsuits and Prostitutes. Yeah, Paul. Okay. So, now that we know where we're going, a quick disclaimer. We're going to be talking about some heavy issues such as sexual impurity. And I know in a room that there's some people that struggle, struggle with that. I also know that there's probably some people in here that have been sexually abused. And I want to start by saying, I am so sorry that that happened to you. We're not talking to you on here. That is not your fault. You had no choice in that matter. That's not what we're talking about. And again, I am so sorry. So with that, let's turn to chapter 6, verse 1, and we'll get started with lawsuits. So, verse 1 says, If any of you has a dispute against another, how dare you take it to the courts before the unrighteous, and not before the saints? Or do you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, are you unworthy to judge trivial cases? Don't you know that we will judge angels how much more matters of this life? So, if you have such matters, do you appoint your judges, those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is not one wise person among you who is able to arbitrate between fellow believers? 
Instead, brother goes to court against brother, and that before unbelievers. So in Corinth, there had apparently become this fairly common practice for believers to sue fellow believers. Um, and from what Paul says, it was usually over fairly frivolous matters. Now, we don't get exact details of why they were suing them, but from what we can gather from Paul, it usually wasn't a huge deal. Um, but apparently, it was common enough that Paul saw that he had to intervene. Okay. So, um, before we get into this passage, I also want to take another pause and throw a little disclaimer out there. In no way is Paul saying that the church should try to hide, cover up, or deal with illegal acts outside of the law. That is not what he's saying here. If someone breaks into my house, I'm not calling Dave Tate. I'm calling Ken McRae. Because I'd rather have Ken McRae deal with that burglar than Dave Tate. Sorry, Dave. Um, so we've seen time and time again what happens when the church tries to cover up serious crimes, such as child abuse, rape, sexu um, sexual sins, and the church tries to cover it up, and it just damages the church reputation. And I think Paul would be mortified if we ever tried to use this passage as justifications for trying to hide those sins. He'd be absolutely mortified. So that is not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about hiding things. We're not talking about cover-ups. But even though the church isn't going to be responsible for those major crimes, the church can still be involved in it. If there's someone that has suffered sexual abuse within the church, they need to be right there in the loving arms of the church. They need to have the comfort of that community holding them up and pointing them back towards Christ. So the church is exactly where they need to be. Yes, the law is going to absolutely be involved in it, but the church should be right there with them walking through that very dark and difficult time in their life. So the church in Corinth is very interesting. They give too much grace to issues like incest, saying that it's perfectly fine. While they didn't then turn around and start suing each other, meaning giving no grace, over apparently frivolous matters. And Paul immediately is like, well, this type of behavior, it's not okay. Lawsuits within the church all they are going to do is harm you. All they're going to do is destroy your community. And he kind of lists out a few reasons why within, within verses one through six. First, it implies that outside opinions are more important or more beneficial than those inside the church. So within these verses, Paul is saying that we will sit with God judging the angels and the things of this world. Now that's a lot right there. I unfortunately do not have a ton of time to go into it. So let me give you some verses. If you have your notepads, write these down. 2 Timothy 2.12 and Revelation 22.5. Um, please go home, look those up if you want to know more about what that means that we're going to sit and judge the angels. Um, so please go ahead and go look those up when you get a chance. Um, I totally lost my train of thought. 
Okay, but Paul says we are going to judge the angels. How much more should we be able to judge the things of this world? So if we are getting into petty disputes with our brothers and sisters in Christ, shouldn't we, as the church, Paul's saying, surely there's someone wise enough within your congregation to help you with these disputes. And if we're to judge the angels, how much more should we be able to judge these? Instead, we go and get an outside opinion from someone who probably does not share our worldview or morals at all. So what Paul is getting at is that the people of Corinth go to these judges who are not Christian. They don't share their worldview. And they're valuing their opinions, their statements, more than the people of Christ, the people who pray to God, the people who are guided by the Holy Spirit. But they'd rather go get opinions from these outsiders who don't follow God at all. And wouldn't it be better to get counsel from the church? Those who do share your morals, those who do follow God, those who are led by the Spirit. Because if I were to go to the Supreme Court and ask them if homosexuality was okay, they would give me a, yeah, it is. If I were to go over and ask Chase Bowers or Dave Tate, is homosexuality okay? Nope. It's not. So you see the difference here. Seeking counsel from outside the church where they don't share your values. You're going to get misled. You're going to get bad advice. So Paul's saying, look, if you have a dispute that can be handled within the church, handle it. Y'all, God is with y'all. So the first option, or the first reason that it's harmful is we value opinions outside the church more than those inside. And the second is it causes divisions within the church. Um, the church I grew up at, um, let's see, there was this ugly green carpet all throughout the sanctuary. My wife is staring at me because she loved that carpet. Um, but this ugly green carpet all throughout the sanctuary, and I'm talking like the Baptist green, like y'all know what I'm talking about, yeah? Okay, yeah, the Baptist green carpet, and one year they decided they are going to replace the carpet. People exploded, like exploded, lost their minds. There was also a bunch of other stuff that started in the church shortly after that, so that just fueled the fire, but people started drawing lines, dividing sides, yes, we should keep the carpet, no, we shouldn't. Yes, we should remove the pews and put chairs. No, we should not remove the pews. People exploded. So if we can be divided over something so simple as carpet and chairs, don't you think that if we start suing people within our own congregation, that there's going to be some lines drawn, some friendships damaged? Yeah? Because what happens is people start to pick sides. In case you haven't noticed, the church is full of sinful, messed up people. A lot of times we like to talk, we like to gossip, we like to stick our nose in things that it has no business being in, and we like to rouse stuff up just to see what happens. So imagine if you could, there's this lawsuit going on. Everyone starts gossiping, gossiping. Did you hear that he did this? Did you hear that she said that? 
and all of a sudden, it's exploded throughout this congregation. People are picking sides. People they used to be friends with, they're now gossiping about them, saying, can you believe that they said this and sided with them? And all it's doing is causing rift after rift within the church and driving more division. And as if division within the church isn't bad enough, on its own, it takes away the ultimate purpose of the church. Spreading the gospel, glorifying God, and building each other up through biblical community. If we were busy suing each other, we're definitely not building each other up through biblical community. In fact, we are tearing each other right down. If the outside world only sees us going after each other in court, they probably won't even want to hear our message about the gospel because we look nothing like Jesus to them. In John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And I don't know about y'all, but suing each other doesn't look like love to me. And it won't to that outside world that is watching our every move. And if all of this is going on within a church, we're definitely not glorifying God. Definitely not. So you might be sitting there like, all right, I'm in high school, great, but I'm not suing anyone anytime soon. So if that's you, hopefully it is. Don't worry, there's still a lot we can learn from this passage. Um, because Paul's major point here isn't just don't sue people. If we stop there, we're missing so much. Because Paul's point is to live like Jesus does. Verse 7 says, As it is, to have legal disputes against one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather be wronged? Why not be cheated? So, Paul's getting at that if you can resolve this issue within the church, great, awesome. But, why not avoid the issue of that conflict and that's ensuing each other altogether? Actually, let's throw out suing. Why not avoid that conflict altogether? So what? Someone wronged you. What does Jesus teach us? That we're supposed to turn the other cheek. That if someone wrongs us, they slap us in the face, we turn the other cheek towards them. Because Jesus was so radically different than this world. Everything we know, everything that we're taught from culture that, oh, they've harmed you, you have to get back at them, you have to get even, or you have to get ahead. Jesus says, no, turn the other cheek. And so he's like, avoid this issue of suing all together. And let's see, oh, I did not write down a reference. I believe it's Philippians 2. Um, it says, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not only to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. You see, it's not about us. We really like making it about us because we like it to be about us. But it's not. It's about Jesus. And what does Jesus tell us? He says to love your, uh, your neighbor as yourself. Count others as more significant than yourself. So yeah, you got wronged. 
but it's okay. The goal is reconciliation. Whenever we look back at church discipline like we did last week, we went to Matthew 18. The ultimate goal of that whole list of steps that we're going through, going to them first, then bringing in two people, then taking it to the church, is reconciliation. We're not sending them through church discipline to get back at them. We want them to be reconciled. We want to bring them back in to where they are fully pursuing God. And this whole thing only makes sense in the context of the gospel. When we look at Christ, he took the punishment for our sins. He didn't have to do that. But he did because he loved us. And shouldn't we be willing to be cheated or defrauded or maybe even lose an argument and show that same grace to others that we've been given? We have a tendency to expect more grace for us than we give to others. And if we wrong someone, we're like, well, well why can't you just show me grace for this? But if they wrong someone, or if they wrong us, I'm sorry, we don't want to show grace at all because we were wronged and we have to stand up for that, right? But that's not what Jesus is teaching. That's not what Paul's teaching. And Paul makes it very clear that if they're at the point of these divisions and suing each other, that there's something very wrong with their biblical community. Very wrong. And so he starts to compare them to the unbelievers, or he says unrighteous. He says, do you not know that the righteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this. Let that sink in for a second. And some of you used to be like this. Some of us used to be like this. But, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of our God. This list is not new and should not surprise anyone. Paul has several, several similar lists throughout scriptural, Scripture. And they're not new. And the good news is that if you're looking at this list and you're like, oh, that, that describes me. If you are in Jesus Christ, look again at verse 11. It says, you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is no longer who you are. You are a new creation in Christ. We're no longer bound by the sin and shame because Christ has set us free from that sin, sin and shame. And, sorry, I lost my place again. Um, so the message that Paul's getting at is look at some of the things y'all are doing. Do you not know that this is not how someone that is transformed by Christ, that has the Holy Spirit living in them, transforming their lives. This is not how someone behaves. 
if we are saved by the work of Jesus on the cross, should we return to how we were before? The answer is no. We should not. In Romans 6, 1 through 2, Paul says, Shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? Absolutely not. So we've been saved and washed by the blood of Jesus. So why would we ever want to go back? Oh, that verse isn't up there anymore. Why would we ever want to go back to how we were before Christ? Why would we ever want to be enslaved by sin? This used to be us. But. Don't you love that there's that but there? Paul has all of that condemnation, all the sin, all the shame, and then there's that little three-letter word, but. We were washed. We were sanctified. We were justified. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says we are a new creation. The old is gone. We're no longer enslaved by those sins that defined us and shamed us and guilted us for so long. Christ has given us freedom. But he's also reminding us that there is a deep price that was paid for us. And that was our Savior's death on the cross. So, as we move on to the next section, um, a little disclaimer. Corinth was apparently very well known for um, prostitution. So, this had apparently made its way into the church. Um, so, yeah, just a little heads up there. Um, but as we go into this section, you'll see that there are several quotes um, within, within, these, within these verses. And Paul will kind of quote something and then repeat it with like a, um, a justifying phrase after it. Um, so... I'm not going to do that example. Um, so in verse 12, it says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. So this is the quote that Paul has heard from the Corinthians that they're using. So he then repeats it, everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So within these, Paul is taking a justification from the P Corinthians of them saying, okay, because of this, this is okay. And he's qualifying their justification, being like, okay, well, but this. So one of the arguments from Corinth is that they are free to do whatever they want because Jesus has set them free. They're saying everything is permissible for me or everything is okay or allowable for me to do. Um, and they're using this John 8.36 saying, so if the sun sets you free, you will really be free. And as a result of their thought process of this, saying that I'm, I'm, I'm free, so I'm able to do anything I want, they were able to justify all sorts of things, such as acting immorally or sexual sins, because after all, everything is permissible or everything is okay for me to do. And Paul retorts to them saying, everything is permissible, but I will not be mastered by anything. So he's like, okay, so technically, you could go do whatever you wanted. 
but you're throwing yourself right back in to the slavery of sin. And it is going to be your master. So Paul's like, no, I don't want any part of that. I want Jesus to be my Lord, my King, and my Savior. I don't want to be, I don't want to throw myself back in slavery to sin. So the second argument is, food is for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us, us up by his power. So funny story. I read this verse about five different times, um, and I did not particularly get what it was hinting at. Um, and then I started reading commentaries and read what it was hinting at, um, which in case you were as lost as I am, or it was, it's prostitution. It's hinting at prostitution. So, yeah, I didn't get that either, and I just saw the light bulb go off on about five of y'all's faces, and that's exactly what happened to me. Um, I was home alone reading through the books, and um, I think I literally went like, oh, like audibly. Um, so, yeah. Um, anyway, so the Corinthians have this saying, food is for the stomach and stomach for the food. So they are now comparing sex to a bodily function, saying, just like if we're hungry, we're going to eat. They then apply that to sex and saying, if we have a desire, we're just going to go find a prostitute. So they've equated it to this physical need. And the problem with that is it's not just this physical desire. It's designed to be this beautiful thing that brings together a man and a wife solely within the bounds of marriage. But because they had cheapened it so much, they're able to make it look like it was okay. And our society has done a lot of the same thing. We've cheapened it so much to where you'll probably hear, if you haven't heard already, I'd be shocked, that it's okay to go and sleep with whoever you want because it, it doesn't really matter. It's just a desire to fulfill. It's just a craving. It doesn't matter. It's kind of funny because we tend to look at today's age and be like, oh, how have we gone so far? It's like, this is nothing new. Look at the Corinthian church. It's nothing new. And so Paul talks a lot about marriage in chapter 7 next week. Um, so that's really where I'm going to leave it on that topic because um, I don't want to step on, step on Dave's toes next week. Um, but there is so much more that you could talk about there. Um, but again, I'll leave that to Dave. So continuing in verse 18, it says, Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits outside... Sorry. Every other sin a person commits outside, commits is outside his body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price to so glorify God with your body. So Paul starts off with the obvious. Flee sexual immorality. We kind of hear that and we think, oh, yeah, I, I should probably do that. 
because we don't always take sin super seriously. But when Paul says flee sexual immorality, I get this picture of Joseph with Potiphar's wife when she was trying to seduce him. And she grabbed his coat, he threw it off, and ran. Like when Paul says flee sexual immorality, I think that's what he's talking about. Like don't just try to casually avoid it. Because guess what? We're not that great at it. But when that temptation comes, flee. Get out of there. And sometimes I think that, especially in young relationships, we tend to ask this question of how far is too far when it comes to dating boundaries? And I think that's honestly the wrong question to ask. Because we don't want to inch closer and closer to that boundary because if we, if we set that boundary, that's what we're going to do and see how far, how close I can get to that line before I'm sinning. But the question to ask is, are we glorifying God with this relationship? Are we glorifying God with our bodies? And are we honoring and glorifying that other person? all questions to ask instead of how far is too far. So again, we'll try and get as close to that line as possible. But guess what? Paul's saying, if you see yourself heading towards that line, flee. Don't keep trying to inch closer and closer. Flee sexual immorality. Because Paul knew that the cost of not, of not fleeing is sa- slavery to sin. Slavery to that sexual immorality. And so as we're closing, maybe some of you today are sitting here thinking, I have a past I'm not proud of. I've done things I've regret. And maybe you have struggled or are currently struggling with sexual sins. And maybe you feel ashamed about what happened. But that does not mean that you are worse or more broken than anyone else. Because everyone is in need of a savior. And there is freedom and forgiveness in Jesus. Freedom from sin, freedom from shame. And if you're not a Christ follower, we would love to talk to you about what that freedom looks like and about what that forgiveness looks like If you are a Christ follower, look again at verse 11. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by by the Spirit of our God. You are no longer that person. You are a new creation. So we're done go to breakout groups, but first I'm going to pray for us. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for this time that we can come together and just dive into your word, and I pray for these discussion groups that um, people will be open and honest, um, and that we'll be able to trust each other and form real biblical community and build each other up and encourage each other. In Jesus' name, amen.